This is Stephen Strang, and welcome to the God and Cancel Culture podcast, the podcast that I'm doing to draw attention to my new book, God and Cancel Culture, which released September 7th. That's this week, the week I'm recording this. Of course, I know people listen to it. And one of the things that I'm doing is including some of the media that I'm starting to do for the book. I had the privilege a couple of days ago to be on the 700 Club with Pat Robertson, yesterday on Newsmax. And I recently did an hour-long radio interview with my friend Chuck Chrismeyer, who's an attorney and author. And his uh, ministry is called Save America Ministries, and he has a popular uh, live radio show called Viewpoint. And I got his permission to be able to uh, share that with you. So after a few comments, I'm going to uh, play the interview. I think you'll find it interesting. It was uh, really a conversation between two friends about what's going on in America. We even slightly disagreed on a few things, but uh, hey, that uh, just makes interesting conversation, I guess. And uh, so I think that you will find this interesting. The book is God and Cancel Culture. Uh, it's available many, many places, although we are wondering if if we're going to be the subject of some cancel culture. We I hate to be too specific, and I, I certainly don't want to speculate, but a little bit of foot dragging, shall I say. Uh, you can still get it on Amazon.com. You can also get it on stevestrangbooks.com. If you come to my website, there's some free stuff that you can get as a thank you, and also you'll get an autographed copy. And it also it helps us... Uh, uh, kind of build our direct-to-consumer business as a part of Charisma Media. But really, I'm interested in you re- reading the book. So here is my conversation. Uh, it was recorded live on the radio program Viewpoint with my longtime friend, Chuck Chris Meyer. Have you been canceled yet? Yes, I'm asking you personally, whether you're in your car, in your home, your office, wherever you might be. Have you been canceled yet? There are so many ways to be canceled today. We call it cancel culture. People call it cancel culture. But in reality, cancel culture is really, in a sense, just a euphemism for persecution. We use all kinds of strange words that we concoct these days to try to make that which is wicked or evil or uh, horrific sound a little bit better than what it really is. Cancel culture, I think, sounds probably better than a direct and open, notorious persecution, but in fact, that's exactly what it is. It's persecution for righteousness' sake, persecution for honesty and for truth's sake. In other words, don't let me hear what I don't want to hear, because if you are the deliverer of that which I do not want to hear, you don't deserve to live. You don't deserve to live. Your business doesn't deserve to exist. Your church doesn't exist. Uh, deserve to uh, continue on. You must be canceled. And to be blunt, there is no avoiding cancel culture, as our guest today says in the opening of his book. It affects what you see and hear, the news you get, the education your kids and you receive, and how normal citizens are treated in society, how Christians especially are treated, and how we're allowed to run our businesses or not, our families, our churches, 
And by its very nature, cancel culture is pervasive. It leaves no stone, stone unturned. In fact, it will destroy everything in its path. And it's no secret. More Christians find themselves today the targets of social media and corporate powers that delete them, block them, or shadow ban them in an effort to undermine their legitimacy and credibility. And not only that, individual Christians, whether you are in the corporate world or social media, it really doesn't matter because there are many, many ways in which the so-called cancel culture elites, those who are carrying on the engines of cancel culture, can get to you. And they not only get to you by canceling what you do specifically, but intimidating you so that you will never attempt to do it. And that, perhaps, is the real goal. So who's doing this? Why are they doing it? Who are the main targets? How should Christians react to those in power who want to silence them? Can this supposed cancellation or persecution be avoided? And what should Christians and conservative leaders say and do about this? Where is it all heading? Do we have any idea? Where does it stand in the greater panoply of God's purposes, even with regard to biblical prophecy? Today, all of that with our special guest, Stephen Strang. Uh, Stephen is a longtime friend, but became even more friendly together as Christian brothers. When uh, earlier this year, I had an opportunity to sit in his offices at uh, uh, Charisma Communications, and uh, we had a chat, what we were supposed to have, a 15 to 20 minute podcast together. And it was about three hours later that we finally left his office after one of the most invigorating and uh, just enjoyable conversations my wife and I have experienced in a very, very long time. So Stephen Strang joining us here today, the founder of Charisma Media, having published over 2,000 books Wow, he's been around the horn, and he's here to talk to us about cancel culture, God and cancel culture, how to stand strong before it's too late. Steve, it's good to have you on the program. Well, thank you. I appreciate the privilege, especially on the day the book is releasing. Well, exactly. This is that day, isn't it? It really is, and I had the privilege this morning of being on the 700 Club um, and was interviewed by Pat Robertson. Did you sell 700 books then on the 700 Club? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you in a minute a kind of a glitch that happened with Amazon.com, but um, uh, we did it by Skype. Uh, it, before, when I've uh, written books, they've had me on, and you have to fly up there. Skype is much easier. So, And then this uh, interview at the end of the day, what a day. Bookends to a wonderful day. <laughs> well, that's great. And uh, my wife and I will never forget that uh at least three hours, somewhere between three At and four least. hours and that we spent together. it was very enjoyable. I wish we could have uh, recorded some of it because we covered so much interesting uh, ground. It was just a conversation, and uh, podcasts have to be a little bit more directed than that. Mm-hmm. Although there have been a few times when, uh, you know, I did some kind of interview or recorded something, and then later on we, you know, kind of excerpted it into a podcast. But I... I try to make my podcast conversational. People are more interested in that, I think, than, you know, I, I think they get uh, kind of tired of the hard news kind of uh-huh. uh, thing. And uh, Well, I, I know my wife does. Uh, she'll sit down <laughs> with me for maybe an hour, and she says, okay, Chuck, 
I'm done. <laughs> well, you know, we've known each other mainly from conventions, probably right. the National Religious Broadcasters, and, you know, in that everybody is, you know, carrying on three conversations at a time and touching base as you go down the aisle. And so some of my early interactions would have fallen into that category. But I'll admit that I was totally intimidated by your perfect radio voice. I mean, when you just talk to people in the aisle of a convention, you know, you you sound like you're on the radio or something. Oh, I, mean, my I was Steve. just always in <laughs> awe of your ability. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know how I entered the, the realm of radio, Steve? Uh, I did a promo tape uh, with a fellow by the name of Steve Reed, who was the voice of uh, KKLA, I think it was, or KFWB News in Los Angeles for years. And uh, he had the most amazing basso profundo voice. So when the tape between he and I was uh, listened to by some of the uh, the big honchos in Salem Communications, they said, you know, we really liked your message. But my son, 15 years old, says you have a pipsqueak voice. So that's how I began radio, being told I had a pipsqueak voice. Well, your 15-year-old son was talking like a 15-year-old there's nothing pipsqueak about it, but, uh, or, or sometimes we grow. Hopefully, we all grow. And yeah. uh, I've enjoyed getting to know you. I admire so much the stand you've taken. Uh, you are one of the uh, first people, kind of crying in the wilderness. You know how bad things were getting. Now it seems just about everybody is doing it, unless unless they have their head in the sand and yeah. just refuse to. Well, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like a two-year-old that puts his hand over his eyes and says, look, Ma, you can't see me, or a four-year-old that puts his fing- his thumbs in his ears and wiggles his finger and says, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. And I think that's the way it is for a lot of Christians in our country today, even pastors. I think you're right. And, you know, these forces uh, that are going on um, have been going on for a long, long time. In fact, there's an argument that can be made that really one of the pivotal uh, times was actually a hundred years ago, long before you and I were around. And, uh, you know, we've accommodated in the churches. Um, a lot of the churches gone real liberal, yeah. actually backslidden. Yeah. Uh, Even so-called evangelical churches. Hey, we're heading into a break. Hang on there, Steve. And we'll pick up with that conversation when we get back. Friends. Stephen Strang, God and Cancel Culture, will offer the book when we get back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. always a delight to come before you here on Viewpoint to talk about the matters that touch the heart of God and connect with our hearts more than anything else. We're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. That's one of the things that sets this program apart. It's not just a Christian program. It is a program that deals with the issues of our time from a biblical, godly, and prophetic perspective. It weaves it all together in ways that is very hard to find 
anywhere else. And that's why so many of you have been joining with us. We thank you for uh, new listeners that are joining uh, from time to time and want to encourage you to continue and uh, to tell your friends, Romans and Contribute, about the program because this is how we advance the cause. Not by advertising, not by commercial advertising, because if we tried to do that, we'd be canceled. We have never accepted commercial advertising because the moment you do that, you are put in a stranglehold. You either conform to what those who want to uh, uh, put their products on your program say or don't say, or you lose them. And we're going to do that because we're called by God, not by commercialism. And so today on Viewpoint, we're joined by Stephen Strang. He is the founder from age 24, believe it or not, uh, Strang Communications, now a.k.a. Charisma Media. Give us a quick thumbnail sketch of that, Steve, before we really launch into this cancel culture business. Well, actually, when I was 24, I founded a little church magazine that grew and morphed And six years later, we founded what we now call Charisma Media. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I started Charisma when I was 24, but the company when I was 30. And I've always kind of seen myself as a journalist, a watchman on the wall, trying to cover things that other people don't, Mm -hmm. trying to encourage people to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, um, believing that the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit were answers to a lot of the problems that our country has faced. You know, Mm -hmm. I started in 1975. That was not a very good year. Uh, Nixon had just resigned in disgrace. We were leaving Vietnam in disgrace. The economy was in the toilet. Uh, You know, we could go right down the line. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yet there was also a great revival that really started in the 60s called the Jesus Movement. There was the Charismatic Movement. Uh, these were barely acknowledged by the mainstream culture and by the press, yet they were mighty moves of God, and God is still moving. But boy, if you look at the press, uh, you would never know it. Um, but you know what? Even in the 50s, when television programs and things like that, you know, we, we think of that as kind of a, a more innocent age. You had a 30-minute sitcom. God was never a part of the answer in the sitcom. Never. Uh, maybe they would say grace before they ate meal, mm-hmm. which they wouldn't do now. Maybe they didn't have transgender characters. Like but at that. least they slept in separate single beds. Yeah, even if they were married. Ha, right. ha, ha. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was innocent, but it wasn't the gospel. People didn't really go to church. You know, they weren't dealing with redemption or uh, the carnal nature or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, that's just normal culture. Um but it's gotten worse and worse, and, you know, you said earlier that I've published 2,000 books. Only about 1,000 of them are still in print, and sadly, a lot are forgettable. But we also have had 17 that made the New York Times bestseller mm-hmm. list, so we've had a few big books. There, if you're in the publishing business, you know that your big books make up for all your mistakes. But um, <laughs> that's kind of an inside joke. Yeah. But um, I publish these books, but only did I start writing in 2017? Because I felt there was an untold story uh, about Donald Trump's election. And I actually got the idea about three months after the inauguration when I realized the books that were coming out didn't even talk about the Christian vote, let alone the issue of did God raise up this unlikely person? Does God have plans and purposes? 
I really think that Donald Trump's election was a shift to the right of these bad things that are happening. The other side, as I like to call them, because, you know, they come in many different uh, names and shapes and voices. The other side wanted to get rid of Donald Trump, and they did. Uh, You know, there are prophetic voices that said that Donald Trump was going to win two terms, and I I reported on that. I didn't prophesy it myself, but I reported on Mm -hmm. it in my book, God Trump, the 2020 election. I personally believe he won. I had a chapter in that book on why Trump might lose, and a lot of it was, a lot of that chapter was election fraud. I did not see yeah. COVID nineteen coming. Um, I did not know about the uh, voting machines, the Dominion voting machines, but a lot of the other stuff sadly came true. Now, when January sixth rolled around, you know, I was just so embarrassed by all that thing. I just felt heartbroken, mm-hmm. and I knew that it. I really believe that there's evidence, or at least there's enough evidence to look into. You know, if there, if, if there is uh, some cause to believe that a crime or a wrongdoing or fraud was done, the authorities have a responsibility to look into it. Well, they do, and or not. there's a reason but why they, there's a reason, Steve, why they don't want to let out 14,000 hours of videotape of that event. They refuse to let it out. And uh, it's because they're canceling their own evidence because it's not favorable to the view. Absolutely. So the cancel culture goes many ways. It's not just canceling you. It's canceling other things that are in the exclusive uh, domain, shall we say. For instance, uh, you talk about elections, people who have voted, we have uh, various states that are supposed to uh, charged with responsibility uh, to accurately count the votes. But when you have an attorney general and a governor of two different states saying, we will not allow a an investigation into our voting, we will not allow it. That is a form of negative cancel culture, I think. Absolutely. And to some extent, this has been going on for a long, long time, you know, there was a time, um, you know, you remember the name Tammany Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kansas City was well known to have corruption. Of course, Chicago. And there were corrupt politicians back then that, like, wouldn't prosecute the mob, for example, because mm-hmm. they were controlled by the mob. So, I mean, this is not unique in our generation. It just seems that with social media and everything else, we can't get away from it. Now, right. I saw a uh, documentary on uh, TV the other day about uh, King George the Fourth. He was the son of the famous King George the Third of our Revolutionary Era, mm-hmm. and uh, it was right after the French Revolution. England was uh, concerned about it. Uh, there was all this criticism of the monarchy, which continues to our day, and there was an uprising to try to get the votes for the common people. Only like three or four percent of Brits, and they were all men, uh, could even vote back then. There was an uprising of about 50,000 people in Manchester. It was not violent. But, boy, when they talked – and, of course, there was no Internet. There was no telegram, telegraph, nothing back then. But King George IV spun that as if it was a violent – I mean, it almost sounded like January 6th. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I had never heard this before, and I'm probably not saying it very well. But I just said to myself, you know, these things have happened before. But I – 
knew that I couldn't I did not want to write a book trying to defend Donald Trump. That is beyond my pay grade, but I mm-hmm. wanted to address what's going on in our country and right. it's serious and Christians have to wake up and cancel culture was a term under which I could write about a lot of things. Because sure. I have a chapter called It's Not Cancel Culture, It's Communism. Yeah. Communism, uh, you go to North Korea, they cancel everything that doesn't go along with the mm-hmm. uh, Communist Party. Same thing in China. Uh, and a lot of other examples throughout history, including Hitler. Um, this well, is how tyrants and dictators have always um, uh, acted in our country because of our separation of powers, because of our constitution, because of our freedoms. We have lived almost in a bubble. We thought we were immune from that. Mm -hmm. But now it's coming at us full blast, and I believe that it's a move towards socialism, which really means communism, which is always atheistic, where they're trying to cancel God. Well, that's true. uh, They've downplayed it in the culture, even what I said in the 50s in our popular culture. Uh, downplaying God or the place of God. And at the time, a lot of the people in America were churchgoers and different things. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not like... But in the popular culture, look at the movies. With a few exceptions, the movies uh, are very non-biblical, anti-God kind of scenarios and themes and and, uh, stories that they tell. Uh, Look at Disney. There's nothing. Disney World is right here in my city. I live in Orlando. There's, in fact, when I've been there, I've tried to see anything that has to do with Christianity. When they talk about the pilgrims, they show a picture of somebody kneeling in front of a grave, and there's a cross, and one or two other oblique nods that religion mm-hmm. even exists, and, and they play up the occult and everything else, and now, sadly, they're starting to introduce transgenderism in some of the things that they do. I mean, it's disgusting. Well, it is disgusting. it going if you... on for a long, long all time. All right, well, let's let's go back uh, just briefly. I don't want to spend all our time going backwards, but just to put this in a context that really has meaning for our time. You mentioned the French Revolution. The French Revolution was, at that time, the ultimate cancel culture event. It was, I believe, the uh, harbinger of the Great Tribulation. First came the Tribulation, or the Terror. Then after three years came the Great Terror. Well, what was the premier characteristic of those? Canceling out all authority, particularly God's authority and the authority of the family. They had to get rid of all that in order to introduce a so-called New World Order that the French Revolution was to launch. And that was liberty, equality, fraternity, out of which they got neither liberty, nor equality, nor fraternity. Then we also find now, Steve, and uh, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see it, but my wife and I uh, saw this uh, special that came out uh, last evening concerning uh, Meghan and Harry. And uh, they're leaving the monarchy, which they called the firm. And as I watched this, I thought, Lord, there's a bigger picture here. It's not just what meets the eye. It's not the emotions. It's not all of that. That's what's going to capture people. So I said, what is this really about? You know what came back to me? 
This is about cancel culture, except I didn't use that term. It was about diminishing the monarchy and all authority that would bind the Britons together, the British together, so that they can be be merged as the U.S. into the new global order. Because the moment you have things that bind you together in culture and in tradition, they have to be eliminated so that you can be merged into this bigger order. That's really what's happening, I think. And uh, we can spend all of our time talking about the little pieces which are the symptoms of a much, much bigger issue, I think. What's your, I agree what's your thought? with you. And one of the reasons I wrote this book is that there are a lot of different things going on. And as a journalist, I tried to describe what's going on. I interviewed 23 uh, leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually uh, recorded my podcast or my interviews. And then later on, with a separate introduction, I used them as podcasts, so people can go on my uh, Strang Report and actually listen to them if they want to. But I tried to connect the dots. You know, if you have a bunch of dots, it doesn't look like much, but if you can connect them in a certain way, it forms a picture. Exactly, and And that's what you did. understand it because it isn't just about getting canceled on Facebook or something like that. It isn't just Mike Lindell not... Uh, people not selling his pillows, although they're trying to punish him mm-hmm. for having the audacity to support Donald Trump and right. to question the election. Since when have commercial enterprises uh, tried? I mean, this is what you think of tyrants in government. Uh, the Constitution protects us from that to some extent. This is unprecedented, and there's a lot of other things that happen. And I also talk about the move toward socialism, which is really communism. Uh, how they try to cancel uh, things that don't go along with uh, global warming and climate change or uh, Mm COVID-19. There's all these examples, and really it's moving towards some kind of one-world government. Exactly. Um, When they they take away our right to buy and sell, Mike Lindell would be one example, but also I have a section in there about how these credit card processing companies will refuse... To, uh, do the credit cards of like the American Family Association right. and some other We'll be right back after this, friends. Stay tuned. Steve Strang with us. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. God and cancel culture. 
It's time to stand strong before it's too late, says our guest today, Stephen Strang, who is the founder, uh, CEO of Charisma Media, one of the largest uh, Christian publishing companies in the in the country. And it's great to have a special privilege to have him here on the program today. I want to make available his book to you. It's a $22 hardbound book. Today it was released. Today, this very day, that's an unusual thing, a special privilege that we have to announce it today here on Viewpoint. $22 will put this hardbound book in your hands. It's going to weave together the concept of cancel culture in so many, many different applications and implications just as a uh, supreme journalist would do who has access access to the names, to the dates, to all of these things to weave it together and to show the bigger picture. I hope you'll get a copy of it. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. God and cancel culture. So, uh, in your book, Steve, you say last year that a friend of your wife received a startling letter from the National Association of Realtors, a collective organization for all real estate agents licensed in their respective states. It announced that the organization had revised its code of ethics to prohibit realtors from using, quote, harassing speech, hate speech, epithets, slurs based on race, color, religion, sex, handicap, familial status, national origin, sexual orientation, or gender identity, unquote. Then member agents have to comply with the ethics code in all of their activities, and those who violate are subject to disciplinary action, in other words, potential canceling. So, what are the implications of a letter like this? It sounds nice in one sense. On the surface, you don't want to be biased against people. But where's the danger? Well, there's an agenda that says that you have to buy in to, um, you know, we used to call it uh, liberal. Now I guess we call it leftist, uh, which has to do not just with politics, but with gender identity, uh, same-sex marriage, um, transgenderism. In other words, it crosses over into the sphere of the Bible and our faith. Exactly. So if you criticize these people, they say it's hate speech, that you're not being inclusive and all these kinds of things. Well, if you go to any church, they're always inclusive. They welcome people. They're glad to have people there, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a very narrow definition, and they make you bad if you criticize it. So then it becomes dangerous. How? I mean, this isn't like putting up a banner across the said All wicked people that do such and such and such and such should burn in hell forever. You know, that would be, even in my opinion, would be pretty close to hate speech. Uh Although we have free speech in America, you know, that's one of the things is disgusting speech is protected by our First Amendment. Well, we thought we had free speech. Burning the flag is protected. We thought we had free free speech in America. Well, you're right. We thought we also thought, Steve, we also thought that we had biblical authority in our churches 
But for the past 50 years, we've been waning. That authority has been waning in our own churches, even well, in the evangelical churches. Well, it was a lot earlier than just 50 years, and if we have time, we can talk about it. But here, here's what happened with the example in the book. Uh, if someone put a scripture on their personal Facebook page that offended an LGBT person, like uh, – one does not come to mind right now, but, you know, something that Christians would consider, you know, uh, uh, God created man and woman, um, or that you should leave your father, mother, and cleave to your wife, you know, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It offends somebody who's like super, super sensitive that people don't accept them because they have what we at least used to have called a deviant lifestyle. They can now bring some kind of charges that this person was in hate speech. And, mm-hmm. and lately, very, very innocent things are, are being canceled. Yeah. We had something canceled on YouTube. We do not have a big presence on YouTube, but we would put up different videos. One of them about healing got canceled. We're not even sure why. We think that maybe they thought it was practicing medicine without a license. You know, we've heard that before. People that were just opposed to believing God for healing, uh, will oppose it. I mean, and then they leave you wondering, and everybody says, oh, gee, I don't want to be canceled, so I better be quiet, like you referred to earlier. I think that's the most dangerous thing at all, that everybody just uh, keeps quiet, like they did in Hitler's Germany. You Mm -hmm. know, they didn't want to say anything because they'd get in trouble, and they thought, well, this will pass. Well, it got worse and worse and worse. Um, You know, I talk about that in the book, too. But I'd like to also pivot, if we could, because I don't want to run out of time. I interviewed 22, 23 major, who I consider to be major leaders, including you. And I wanted to talk about that in the chapter that I call Persecution in America. Mm -hmm. There was a subsection that says, Antichrist approaching, question mark. Right. And I talk about how could some of this be the approach of the Antichrist, and I quote you, I mentioned Save American Ministries. Mm-hmm. I mentioned your book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. And then I, I quote you and some of the things that you've been saying about the Antichrist coming, uh, how he's going to come in a time when chaos is reigning supreme, nature mm-hmm. pours the vacuum, he's going to fill the vacuum. I mean, things that you touch about all the time. It was very helpful. I'm guessing that it was from one of my podcasts, and I and I just found it very Helpful. Then I go on to talk. I quote other people. Uh, uh, the missionary Andrew Brunson, you know, who is in Turkey, mm-hmm. and on and on. I, I cover a lot of subjects. It's impossible in a you know 200-page book to cover everything. Sure. But like I said earlier, I try to help people to understand, understand the seriousness, understand that we've got to stand strong before it's too late, and uh, and also we have not lost yet. You know, clearly 40% of the population is on our side, and it may be closer to 50. You know, it's been pretty close to 50% most of our lifetime, and uh, sometimes the other side wins and sometimes we win. Lately, they've been able to uh, tip the balance of power. And listen, if there aren't honest elections, we've lost for good. I mean, it's just – it's lights out. But I believe that a lot of that truth is finally going to come to light. I really do. I think the American people really don't want to go down that path. 
I think that there's a, still a very strong feeling in this country that we want freedom. Um, that That is a hallmark of what America is. With all of our problems and everything else, we've always been the land of the free. And, um, you know, it's a relatively small minority that, that wants us to go in the socialist direction. They have an agenda. They are well organized. They're well funded. Uh, I go into Black Lives Matter, Antifa, a lot of this stuff. You know, we look at the news. We're not sure who to believe, who not to believe. The the uh, media tries to make them sound like they're harmless. They're not harmless, and they're very, very well organized. Then our side is not very well organized at all, and we tend to kind of go along to get along, and Christians cannot do that. And we will, uh, you know, our company's had a little bit of cancellation. We're real careful so we don't do, you know, stupid things that would invite it. Mm-hmm. Um, but even we're being canceled. And when I wrote my books on Donald Trump, this is before cancel culture was such a buzzword. Uh, we would try to advertise it on Facebook, you know, just little ads. Every single one of them got turned down. Every single one of them. And it was not a particularly controversial book. It was just the fact that it was about Donald Trump. It was not real obvious to me back then what was happening. But I'm very, very concerned about it. And I believe, like I said earlier, they're trying to cancel Christianity, the thing you said about the realtors. If they can make that kind of stuff stick so that quoting the Bible is hate speech, it's not very long before the Bible itself is hate speech and has to be banned. It's happened before in human history. That's um, true, but the unfortunate about thing all is... The people that died because they translated um, the Bible. Right. And, you know, the Bible is the best-selling book in the world. Uh, I grew up revering it in Christian circles. Of course, we revere it, but I think even the culture reveres it. Um, you think so today? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean... Only, you know, only parenthetically. Icon. Only parenthetically. Um, only Pardon? parenthetically. I, in fact, uh, in 1983, the Congress uh, passed a resolution uh, that the year would be called the Year of the Bible. Uh, it was almost as if it was a, an immemorium, a postmortem, uh, because they realized the Bible had fallen on very, very hard times, even by 1983. So then we end up with a museum. In Washington, D.C., the Museum of the Bible. But when I went there, I didn't find any living vitality of the Bible in our time. It was all historical. It was as if somehow we're giving tribute to something that no longer matters in the life of the people. That's what I'm concerned about. And we we like to cry about how the Constitution seems to have lost its uh, merit in the mind and heart of our society. But before that happened, the Word of God lost its merit in the mind and heart of many Christians. So it seems to me that if we don't truly revere by obeying the Word of God, how in the world could we expect a pagan culture to revere and obey the Constitution? Well, you make some very good points, and I would agree with you on most of it, but uh, I'm going to take exception with a couple things you said. Just okay, the idea that's all right. That you can you can look at the same glass and say it's half full or half empty. True. I believe, um, you know, in earlier centuries, think how 
bad things were with the clergy when the first uh, Great Awakening happened in the 1700s. I mm -hmm. mean, if you read about the time, it sounds almost like the modernistic things here in the 20s. You're right. The social gospel that was so liberal that the fundamentalists, as, as evangelicals were called at the time, had to distance themselves. The National Council That's of right. Churches. We've got to be back on a break here. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. They're coming after pastors. They're coming after churches. And they're coming after you. Now, you don't seem to be very significant in their mind, in their heart, but you're significant in this way. And that is that if they can make a picture of leaders, if they can make them out to be under cancel culture and threaten their very existence, their lives, put them in prison, which is happening in Canada, it's happening here, by the way, if they can do that, then... By implication, you have been silenced. You have been intimidated to silence. You have been canceled. Therein lies one of the great problems. I think, uh, Steve, with regard to this whole issue of the cancel culture, and that is it is becoming used to bring absolute control. It's not just against people. It's to bring absolute control for a secondary agenda that is the greater purpose behind the cancel culture. And that's what concerns me and brings me to a phrase that I find in your book, cancel culture is a dress rehearsal for mass murder. Now that may sound uh, hyperbole, but I don't think so. What say you? Well, if you could say the people are totally insignificant and they don't matter, um, that's what Hitler did. He made the Jews into people that didn't matter. And yes, some of this is, may sound like hyperbole, but you know, things, um, you know, if we had predicted in the 50s and 60s when we were children that drag queens would be doing uh, story time in public <laughs> libraries for children, really, they they would have they would have called the uh, the uh, psychiatric people to put you awake you would have been considered crazy and you know it's it's even putting uh things on facebook your own testimony a bible verse a cross uh you know it, they're just canceling us one by one they don't want religion because really christianity is the only thing standing 
in the way of anything goes. And America is the only thing standing in the way of communism sweeping the world. And we can see even with what's happening in Afghanistan, America is losing its clout, is no longer the policeman of the world it was. And these people, the communists, I tell, talk a lot about communist China, they have an agenda. They're working with, you know, it's a very, very evil, dark agenda. And a lot of Christians don't want to admit it, but I believe we're at a point where you can't uh, ignore it anymore. But I'd like to circle back around to what we were saying about the now, Bible. Careful back, to... careful back with those terms, circle around. It could get you in trouble. <laughs> okay, I'll be careful. Um, 1983, I remember the year of the Bible because I there was a lot of people that uh, lended their signatures, and I was in my early 30s. I was just barely you know, uh, having any kind of platform at all. And I was so honored that somebody even bothered to ask me. Of course, I was glad to do it. So I have very clear recollection. You know, you could also see that there was a, people were saying we need to focus more on the Bible. And right. that is about the time the NIV came out, which was the 1984 version was enormously popular. The New King James Version came out not long after that. There, There is a revival of the Bible in some circles. And even the Museum of the Bible. Now, this is my take. I've been there several times. I, I so admire the Green family for doing it. I do, too. There you are in all the museums in the country. They have everything from aerospace to black history. Not a mention about God, supposedly because of separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. It's, really a muse- it's really a museum to tell the story of the gospel, but that would sound uh, proselytizing. So the Bible is at least an icon a religious thing that is revered by most people. And, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a way to honor it and to tell the story and to tell some of the past things that happened that people don't know about, even all mm-hmm. the religious uh, mottos and stuff that are, that are carved into uh, marble and granite in our, in our uh, nation's capital and the major buildings there. People don't know that. I saw... But at least it's there, and it is quality. It's as good as anything the Smithsonian does, and uh, I'm just so proud of them. I do not see it as a mausoleum. I see it as an honoring of it, just like the museums there aren't about a dead civilization. It's to help people understand, um, you know, where America came from. And, and, uh, yes, the leftist agenda is even getting in there uh, more and more. But yes, um, it is. I'm just saying the glass is half full. That's the only thing you and I agree on about ninety nine point nine percent of the things. Right. Well, uh, that's what's good about being able to have a conversation, Steve. And uh, the book, Friends, God and Cancel Culture, Stand Strong Before It's Too Late, uh, is a twenty two dollar hardbound book just released today. And it covers a vast, we, we can't even begin to scratch the surface of what this book covers. And I think it'll be very helpful to you to understand the bigger picture that we're looking at. Uh, it's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, two. Three two five five. Writing a check at five dollars for postage and handling. Now, we need to uh, focus, uh, Steve, and I know you want to do this. Uh, focus on okay. This is the way things are. 
now what? Well, or as Francis Shaver should say, how should we then live? <laughs> well, you know, I quote him quite a bit. He was remarkably prophetic in in the late 70s. You got that right. That film series. I quote him a lot. In fact, it's almost scary how prophetic he was. But the Bible says that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. And uh, the last chapter actually has that title. And as Christians, we have to believe that. You know, the Christians, and there are a lot of Christians, there were at least half a million Christians who died in the concentration camps of Hitler. That is forgotten by a lot of people. The number was a lot smaller percentage-wise, of course, than the Jews. But, you know, even in that horrible era, even in the era of the French Revolution, even when the French persecuted the Huguenots, every, we could, uh, the Romans against the Christians, the Scripture, all things work together for good. And we have to believe that because God has a plan and purpose. We know that he wins in the end, even with the end of time. But the Antichrist and everything else is going to come, we believe, with the uh, Christ ruling and reigning. Um, in fact, it's going to be so wonderful in some ways to be better if all this bad stuff happens so we could get to the good stuff quicker. <laughs> well, I mean, if it doesn't, of... if it doesn't happen, the good stuff is going to be a lot farther down the track. And that's what really bothers me about uh, many who seem to think and have been declaring and prophesying and that there's going to be this massive awakening that the whole world virtually is going to come to Christ and then will be have prepared the world for Jesus to return. I and see so just the opposite in the Bible. About the end of time, and that's certainly one of them. It's the one that I grew up with. But you know what? There's many Christian leaders that are saying that they're sensing a great revival, and a lot of people are getting desperate, and we are seeing the outbreaking of revival with people like Mario Murillo, Sean Foyt, a lot of pastors that were very, very passive are now standing up to the governmental leaders when their churches were shut down. Most aren't, but a few have. I mean, I talk about Rob McCoy or Greg Farrington or Cheon in the book. Yeah. Uh, just pastors getting backbone is a good thing. Christians being more awake and speaking up are good things. There's a lot of good things that could happen, and there's also people that are saying the revival is going to happen. We've had great revivals in the past. Even the Protestant Reformation was a great revival during a horrible time in history. And we can hope and pray that that happens, that God shows us mercy. The Bible says to occupy till we come. Exactly. And part of the problem is a lot of Christians think that the rapture is going to happen any minute. And so why bother with this, all this secular mess? But, well, the, in other words, why even pay attention to any of the warnings of Scripture uh, the the idea that uh, we're out of here before any difficulties take place actually makes null and void all of the warnings of Jesus, all the warnings of Peter, all the warnings of John, all the warnings of James and of Paul uh, to, that are to the church. So we're fooling ourselves. We're playing games. And uh, if we're in such a... I think we're in a terribly weakened spiritual immune situation. Our immunity within the body of Christ is so low that we are susceptible to every deviant, deceptive virus that comes down the track. You're absolutely right. But it's happened again and again and again in history. And we've had waves of revival that have kind of gotten things on a different track. And we can pray uh, for that again. And, you know, I grew up in a denomination that taught 
uh, pre-trib. And I'm not a theologian. I've never been to Bible college or seminary. I have lived in the church my whole life, and of course, I work with the church, so I pay attention to this kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, Then there's mid-trib, post-trib. I heard one time a preacher say he was a pan-trib. Right. Well, you know, the word pan means everything, but I say I'm a pan-trib. I believe it's all going to pan out in the end. And I also, I must have heard this, because I'm probably not clever enough to come up with it. All the scriptures about Jesus coming were fulfilled, but the people at the time did not recognize it. It it wasn't what they thought, and I believe that all the scriptures about the coming of Christ are going to be fulfilled, but they're not necessarily what we're looking for. I mean, I'm just doing that by comparison to Jesus' day. Of course, we, we, we or our descendants won't know that until after the fact, and they look back, but I put that as a hypothesis, and... I, I say that that maybe we need to not take ourselves too, too seriously because none of us really know what's going to happen. We just don't. And uh, we've got to try to get people to come to Jesus. You mean in all Jesus those 2,000 books you've published, you still don't have the answer? <laughs> no. <laughs> and today I got a complaint. For, we have a podcaster on the on the. Uh, second coming and prophecy, and somebody was complaining that he was off track, and I don't even know if he is or not, but I thought to myself, how can somebody say somebody's off track? There are so many different theories, oh, but boy. I mean, that just happened today. Yeah. Well, Steve, and thank also, you so much. I appreciate your uh, your friendship, your fellowship in the Lord. My wife and I, as I said, had such a wonderful, wonderful time in the three to four hours we spent together well, there we in need, your office. we need to do it again sometime. It was a lot of fun, and I just so respect what you're doing. I encourage people to support your ministry to and buying the book supports your ministry. So that's, <laughs> that's a blessing too. Well, there you go. And that book, of course, was Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. It's on our website, saveus.org, $22. And Steve's book, God and Cancel Culture, that just came out today, Stand Strong Before It's Too Late, uh, is $22 as well. And it's on our website. By the way, if you want to get both of those books, uh, instead of $5 for each, it'll be $7 for the two of them, postage and handling, and we'll get them in your hands. So make sure that uh, you might want to actually give us a call if you want to get both of the books that way, uh, just to make sure that those slip-ups there on the uh, website. But, uh, uh, Steve... And actually, it's a savings, too. The retail value is $25, so uh-huh. save a little bit. All right. Well, thank you for letting us know that. We've got to... I, I'm just giving the number that my producer gave me. So, uh, <laughs> Well, I think you guys negotiated a good price. Okay, okay. Well, Steve, uh, give a quick word for pastors before we leave. A quick word. I think that pastors, your congregations look up to you. A lot of people will do what their pastors say, and pastors need to be aware of this and not be passive and just fig- and assume that people are going to figure out. Be strong. Be leaders. Be bold. Be full of faith. I agree with that. Be strong, be bold, for the Lord your God is with you, as the song said. It's time for Christians to stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross, raise high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. We used to sing about that, Steve, but not much anymore. Maybe we should again. God and cancel culture stand strong before it's too late. This is the book. It's a hardbound book today. Steve Strang, our guest. And I want to make uh, the book available again to you on our website, saveus.org. 
saveus.org, and may I urge you to become a partner with us. Day after day for 26 and a half years, we have confronted the deepest issues of America's heart and home, preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. I hope you'll come on board if you haven't already. And if you're a new listener, tell other people about it and consider becoming a partner. Go to our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. God bless, be a blessing, and occupy till he comes. This is Stephen Strang again. Even though I signed off on my Strang Report podcast, I want to add a couple of words. And you must be interested if you're still listening. One of the reasons I'm doing this podcast on its own name, in its own way, is to attract readers to my new book, which releases Tuesday, September 7th, the day after Labor Day. It's easy to remember. It's going to be available everywhere. Right now, it's only available on Amazon.com as a pre-order. And you can go to Amazon.com, either look for my name, Stephen Strang, or look for the name God and Cancel Culture. You can order it. They don't charge you, and they don't mail the book until the release date, September 7th. Would you share this podcast with friends? Would you tell friends that you think may be interested in the book? I would really appreciate it. I think you'll enjoy the book. I believe it's my best one yet and also maybe one of the most important. The subtitle for the book, which we just decided a few days ago, is Stand Strong Before It's Too Late. 